0: Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I always like to present uh, so much of uh, what is said up the front as drawing from the story of Scripture. You know, we don't just sort of dabble in and and take bits out. I heard this terrible phrase recently where they were going to hang their sermon on bits of Scripture, and that's certainly what we don't want to do here. It's a a case we want to sort of draw out the lessons. Um, of scripture, uh, and find the story that God has embedded in the pages of the Bible. So it says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, if you're going to get a sense of like primordial soup. There's, there's nothing really going on there. It's just uh, somewhere inhospitable and, 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 and drab. And then it goes, um, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And that should pique your interest. It should draw you in and go, okay, the earth may be formless and void, but something's going to happen. When the Spirit of God is involved, you can expect activity. And sure enough, it goes on into verse 3. And God said, let there be light. Everyone say light. light. And there was light. Very simple reading. And so at the very beginning of creation right back before human history we find that God was there before the heavens and the earth and at some point he thought it good to bring into being the heavens and the earth so the vast canopy of stars that we enjoy at night and this terra firma beneath our feet. God at one point decided to bring that into being. Uh, But for a time there was an emptiness about it. There's an emptiness in space, isn't there? There's vast distances between these heavenly globes and uh, on the planet earth it seemed there was emptiness and darkness. There was no life that lifelessness of space was reflected on the lifelessness of earth. And then the triune God Father, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saw this fruitless space and said, you know what, I'm going to bring life there. Not just existence, not just movement but I am going to bring life. I am going to make full this thing that is empty. And how is this done? Well, it's very um, distinct and remarkable. We find that the text says that God spoke. The words came and creation uh, was suddenly found. On the earth. And we find in the Hebrew this term Elohim Amir. And Elohim is the the name for God that you will find in the beginning of Genesis before he gets names like Yahweh. Um, And Ammar is speak, command. And so we have God speaks, and it is uh, a speech of command, He expects something to happen. If you ever have uh, children or employees or a spouse, you'll know that moment where you speak and you expect someone to do something and something to happen. And so we are treated to this moment that God says something and it leads to a very clear demonstration of his power and artistry because suddenly light comes. And suddenly the earth is treated to uh, uh, day and night. Let's move on now. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says this The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from that, you will surely die. And so we find here um, a second type of speech from God. He talks to Adam as a person. He comes to him privately, directly, and personally, and he says, Adam, this is something for you to enjoy. Enjoy this garden of Eden. You are free to eat from any tree. You can pluck those pomegranates and apples as much as you like. But don't eat from this tree that I've put there that indicates your obedience to me. Don't choose to do something that goes beyond my purposes for you. And so we find here a second type of speech. The first type of speech was this command that something was to happen. Now God comes alongside man and says, this is for your blessing and the boundaries of your activities lie here. And so we have these two types of speech. Now turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 18. It says this in Exodus 18, verse 14. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. So it's like reading tarot cards and sort of uh, star signs um, and uh, uh, sort of these sort of magical incantations and, and things that we would associate with a cult. But as for you, you people of Israel, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you, instead of sorcery, instead of tarot cards, instead of star signs, God has another way of directing his people. And it says this I'm going to raise up for you a prophet. Like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of Lord our God, nor see his great fire any more, or we will die. And then it goes on. The Lord said to me, What they say is good, and I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites... And then we have this new speaking. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command them. I, will call, I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presume, presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, "How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. So do not be alarmed." And so we have this Israelites, and they're, they're this new nation, and they're struggling to work out what, sh- um, how they should operate. These other nations around them, they consult. Uh, occultic practices to find out God's will and God says I don't want you to do that I need you to be led by a prophet a prophet will be one that I speak to and then he will direct you he will be a means by which you find my will and purpose in your life and these prophets are going to be regarded as speaking the uh, word of God And so we have this third type of speech. The first type was that command, the second type was that personal address, and this third type is speaking for a prophet to other people. And from the time of Moses till around 400 BC, um, this is how Israel operated it was operated under uh, various prophets through the ages. And our Old Testament contains the words of these prophets. So Moses and Abraham are seen as a prophet. And Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah. And uh, even King David is seen as a prophet. And so the Old Testament is uh, lots and lots of words of prophets that become directional and authoritative for the people of Israel. However... There comes a time when it seems that Israel recognises that there aren't any prophets around. We get this uh, uh, last book in Malachi, and then God seems to be silent. Now, I was going to read out to you uh, the exact words, but there is uh, something between the Old and the New Testament called the intertestamental literature, and one of the books is one Maccabees. And it talks about them dealing with this... um, altar that was defiled but they didn't know what to do with it because there was not a prophet around and so we have this Israel that is aware that God is not speaking as clearly as he used to we're not saying he's absent but they are longing for a prophet there is this time of longing uh, a time of dryness where is the prophet that we need to show us how to move forward God is no longer showing himself in the crystal clear fashion he had to up to that point. And then all that changes and we've already touched on it when John the Baptist comes and he's filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. And we find him like prophetically dancing when he meets sort of uh, uh, unborn baby Jesus. In the womb, and there is this moment of okay, we've waited for the Holy Spirit to come, and now He's coming in a brand new and exciting way. And so, we've been spending the time since Resurrection Sunday focusing on the Holy Spirit, uh, on our experience of Him and His ministry amongst us, and how we are to uh, enjoy Him together as a church. And we've been inspired, hopefully, by Jesus' instructions to his disciples that they were to wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high, where uh, they were to wait for this power to come and he would transform them and enable them to become compelling witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we know that's true because we are the ends of the earth. This message of the gospel has come all the way to Crawley. This is a, we are like proof that the Holy Spirit came on those uh, those first disciples. He enabled them to, despite oppression, despite uh, uh, condemnation, despite all sorts of heretical heretical influences, uh, this word of God spread out around the world and got to even... Us And when the Holy Spirit baptised those Christians at that Jewish feast of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter interprets the events through the Old Testament prophet. If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. Make no apology for lots of scriptural references, because it is good to make sure that what I am saying accords with what God said In his word. And it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. So the Holy Spirit comes. All these guys are speaking in tongues, and everyone else is going, What is happening here? What is the context of these people speaking? Is it nonsense or is there something more to it? And Peter stands up and he refers to an Old Testament prophet, to someone that God put his words in their mouth. And it says this, Then Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and addressed this crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. That's how important prophecy is in Scripture. Peter wants to explain Pentecost by telling them what an Old Testament prophet once said. And it says this in verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters, they're going to prophesy. You remember this is a generation that didn't have a prophet. And now suddenly their sons and daughters are being told that they're going to prophesy. Uh, your young men, they will see visions. And the old men are thinking, thankfully, that we get to see dreams uh, we get to uh, uh, enjoy God's presence while having a kip. And so you have this extraordinary uh, um, onslaught of spiritual activity when there hadn't been any. Suddenly everyone was going to be involved. And it's a, it's a dramatic declaration, this uh, uh, quote of Joel by Peter. In the Old Testament... Prophecy was given to a select number of individuals. You know, they were kind of slightly uh, uh, eccentric. Uh, They were kind of lone figures. They weren't part of the institutions often. And and they all went around denouncing people, um, often the rich and powerful, who were out of whack with God's intentions. Um, And they were generous and kind to the the people uh, uh, that were not in power, that were struggling. And uh, uh, but you find them in the Old Testament there's just normally one prophet there's normally two prophets it's, it's normally a, a very select few individuals who then share their word with the, uh, those in a less privileged position the spirit at Pentecost changes this completely suddenly the whole community can expect to receive prophecy your sons and daughters the ones that fidget the ones that just want to play Roblox and Minecraft, your sons and daughters uh, uh, that, you know, are are just uh, trying to uh, study and uh, sometimes sort of reluctant to come to meetings, your sons and daughters uh, uh, that uh, you have lots of criticism of, they're going to prophesy. Suddenly the scope for prophecy is blown away. Suddenly, all sorts of people can expect to prophesy. Men and women. There is no uh, gender-specific role here. You expect both male and females to speak out prophecy. It is not something reserved just for the men in some sort of artificial patriarchy. It is a case of everyone Gets to say something. And, and later on in Acts, we find uh, uh, one of the guys uh, uh, has, um, has daughters that are all prophetesses. And, and we find this beautiful community that suddenly everyone gets to speak out in prophecy young and old. You know, the jaded, cynical old people and the fidgety, uh, inconsistent, young people, the old, wise people, and the young, energetic, and full of uh, 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 vim, all of them will be given the opportunity to prophesy. Everyone can hope to hear God clearly. We don't just have to rely on other people's relationship with God. Each of us can hear his words for ourselves. When prophecy is enjoyed widely in the church, it is a statement of this new community. It is a celebration of this brand new community where everyone is uh, a priest, where everyone is a saint, where there is no hierarchy, where it's not you uh, and us and them. When we resist this invitation into prophecy, we are rejecting and rebelling against God's new idea for his community. He's saying, this is a new community that I have brought, and I expect you to all participate in it. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because Paul wants to uh, increase your appetite for uh, prophecy. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4 he says there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them there are different kinds of service but the same lord there are different kinds of working but in all of them and in everyone everyone say everyone, everyone. and in everyone it is the same god at work god He works through the diversity of the community. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You, if you love Jesus, are not excluded from that. It is not other people that uh, the manifestation comes through. It is everyone. So I want everyone to say, "Me." me. There's a sense of ownership that you need to take on when you read this and go, I'm expected to play my part in this. And he goes on, so now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge. And it's the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different tongues of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one as he determines. And we have in these words quite a lot to take in. But Paul wants us to first know that prophecy is divine. It is not something that you've conjured up. You know, you've know, you spent a few uh, uh, hours at home and suddenly you've read a good book and you've come out with a new truth. And he said, no, that's not prophecy. It is something where God is the author. Where God brings it to our minds, and it is not something that we've just thought up cleverly, but God wants to say out loud. And so the prophet doesn't need to be clever. You don't have to be articulate. You don't have to be really intelligent. You don't have to be socially acceptable. You don't have to wear the right clothes. You don't have to have a suit. You don't even have to wear sort of long trousers and shoes on. We have found in Paul's words this thing of the, the thing that makes the prophecy right or wrong is God's voice. And it is supernatural. So you may not feel good today and you receive a prophecy and it is Supernatural. It is something that we should appreciate as being from above. The next thing we must see is that it is a gift. Now, I know many of us uh, would see a gift as something that we can recede into the background, where we don't have to have people look at us and hear us speak. Um, We see that in in all sorts of uh, uh, places in church where uh, a gift of God would be invisibility rather than prophecy. Um, But we find here the Holy Spirit brings this gift, and we're to want this gift because it is good for us and the wider congregation. And so we're to ask for it. We're to go, God, through gritted teeth, some of us will be doing this. I'd like prophecy. I'd like to say something. And God will answer, With the bounty, it can't be earned, you can't manufacture it, and you can't force it. It is a gift a beautiful, divine, supernatural gift. And when we seek it, and when we receive it, and when we practice it, we are loving the other people in the congregation. Now, if you ask most pastors, they would be like, you know what, how you could help me, you could get on some rotors, you could host a home group, you could give all your money in tithe, and there's all these practical things. But Paul says the most loving thing you can do is to prophesy in the congregation. That is what it means to seek the way of love. It doesn't exclude you from the other things, but Paul sees this as a way that you bless those around you. And you see there'll be others around you, perhaps sitting next to you when you prophesy, that are doubting, that are despairing, that have had a bad week. Even today, we, uh, me and my wife suddenly found that we'd accidentally uh, subscribed to something which took 50 quid out of our bank account and we're like right that's ruined Sunday now like 50 quid is so much money and it, we've just lost it and you are like, oh. and then you come no it's church and it's so good to come into church when things aren't going well and then you hear someone read something someone say something someone articulate something and go oh I needed that There are people in here with all sorts of struggles, all sorts of internal monologues that are distracting from God. And God says, I want to speak to them and I want to do it through you. I want to use Barbara and Alistair and Isaac and Francis. I want to use you to bless the people around you, to encourage them, to lift them up, to let them know that they are not alone, to let them know that the things that they're distressing them, they needn't be distressed." Because I am their Lord, their God, and I have good plans and purposes for their lives. We may not enjoy speaking out loud, but God says it is a gift for the good of the community. And there are people here that need to hear what I say, and it needs to be through you. We're going to feel awkward. We're going to feel presumptuous. We're going to feel unworthy. We're going to feel timid. All these feelings are natural, and I have felt every single one when I have said something out loud. You know, I avoid saying, thus saith the Lord, because I don't want to put words in his mouth, um, and I have kind of said something uh, quietly in the hope that no one will hear it. I have, said, I have felt uh, the weight of sins during the week and then come with prophecy and thought, that can't be right. But the prophecy is a gift for the blessing of the community, and it is an opportunity for us to get over ourselves. We get over ourselves for the good of the people in our church. We don't know what's going on in their hearts, but God does, and He would use you to touch them. So hopefully, you are persuaded a little bit that prophecy might have a place in this congregation you may have only moved one step towards it and go well okay God I'll let you use other people to do it but we believe the Holy Spirit and prophecy are indispensable here so the next step is what does it look like how does it work turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 29 says this, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if the revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed. Everyone say instructed? Everyone say encouraged. Encouraged. Prophecy doesn't seem so bad if it's for your instruction and encouragement. I often think prophecy is kind of like for my damnation and an exposure. You know, like uh, that's what I'm expecting to see uh, uh, from prophecy. Um, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. And so the very first thing we find here, prophecy in the church is not to be like a session in a children's nursery where everyone's speaking at once and everyone thinks they're the most important person there. Just as God filled the earth step by step, day by day, he's going to inhabit these church meetings in orderly way in a in a way that we can take in and process when space and time are given to the holy spirit there should be room for two or three prophecies we should make space and time for that and what that also does it allows them to say things and for us to take it in rather than running rush over it all The prophecy should be articulated clearly, and then they should be considered. I find it fascinating. The spirit doesn't take over the prophets. It's not what uh, sort of uh, the history of religions would say, an ecstatic utterance. It's not suddenly, uh, you're suddenly taken over, your head goes back, and your, your sort of voice goes really deep, like some sort of possession. It says, no, no, that's not how it works. God speaks to you and then you speak his words. He doesn't use you like a megaphone. Your uh, eyes don't roll into the back of your head and suddenly uh, a booming voice comes out. You use your own voice and your own words to say what God has told you in your heart. And so he passes on words into their hearts and you control how it's delivered. You choose a time for when you should say it. You don't suddenly tell everyone to shut up because you have got the word of the Lord. It's the case, no, God tells you these things and in the right and proper moment, you share it with the rest of us. It is orderly. It is considerate. It is loving. Now, prophecy can be a word of direction. We had someone last week say, you know, delight in my presence. It can be a picture. It can be uh, an interpretation, say, of tongues, or it can be a bit of scripture that suddenly is spoken prophetically over the congregation. Whatever it is, whatever we receive, Paul expects that it should be instructional and encouraging. Now we've had people here uh, that have stood up and spoken up and it's essentially been sort of a public denouncement of one thing or another. And this kind of fits out of this is outside what Paul here expects prophecy to operate within the congregation. If a prophet speaks to parliament or something, it might be a little less generous but in the congregation of the saints when we are together it should be instructional and encouraging when someone speaks prophecy the rest of us should go oh I'm glad they said that I needed that it spoke directly to my soul I more want to love Jesus and follow him I more want to serve him in my context because of what was said And so whether we are speaking or listening, the the mark of genuine words from God are that it should refresh us collectively. And so finally, the prophet is not their own authority. We've come across these as well. They come in, they tell us the word of the Lord... And then when we go, oh, we're not too sure about that, they get cross or annoyed that somehow we're rejecting the voice of the Lord. The prophet is not their own, is not their own authority. When you say something, you can't necessarily say, thus saith the Lord, because that is something that all of us get to decide. When someone comes and said, Let me speak a word of prophecy, we get to hear it and then we get to make the decision whether that is true or not. We're in a place where we would like people to try, you know, and if they get it wrong, that we don't crush them. With uh, accusations of false prophecy, and then get the firebrands and say, Yeah, the Lord tells us to burn the false prophets. That's not what we want. When we come here and someone prophesies and they're slightly out of kilter, out of whack with the rest of us, it's just a case of, you know what, that wasn't uh, at least for us, and perhaps you need. Uh, uh, to go back and and, and listen to God again. And so they don't get to brag about thus there is the Lord, and they don't get to refuse any corrections or further questions, because, you know, people can prophesy, and then it's okay to go, well, did you mean this or that? What are you saying when you say that? And And they should be able to respond. It is not this sort of edict from this prophet that cannot be touched. They submit the words to us together and we go, is that right? Every one of us, if we love Jesus, has got the Holy Spirit in us and if the spirit that inspired the prophecy is the same in us, it should reverberate and we go, oh, that's right, I can feel it. That is the same spirit that's in me. I I think that's true. And if it's not, we can just not get upset about it. And we judge it By the spirit that's in us, we also judge it by: is it helpful? Is it comforting, edifying, and strengthening? um, As we heard sort of last week, is what said good for someone's soul? And does this? And this is an important one. If this, um, the word needs to reverberate. With our spirit needs to reverberate. Uh, with these positive aspects of prophecy and it needs to make sure that it's not contradictory to Scripture. Um, If you come out with uh, Jesus is going to come back on Tuesday, um, then we would have questions about that because that is something that Scripture says something about because it says, you know, no one's going to know that. And if the answer is yes to Reverberating with the spirit, being helpful and encouraging, with agreeing to Scripture, then it seems a good job, and we can embrace it and go. You know, this is a this is a valuable moment. Um, we have got uh, some prayer-soaking music, which I'm just going to play for the next sort of uh, ten minutes, because we want these uh, musicians practicing later on. Uh, but. Uh, we're going to uh, play some music. I invite you to stand. If you can, hold out your hands. uh, You're welcome uh, to kneel, but uh, get in the place where you are asking for the gift of prophecy, and then if you feel it, um, you can say it out loud, and we can all hear it, and we can go, oh, good job, or okay, well, um, maybe that's not for me. And I just want to create that atmosphere where prophecy is something that every single person here is eagerly anticipating rather than just pushing off going yeah that's just for those people over there but it's for all of us is that okay excellent is that okay with everyone (laughs) you're all very shy but let's get over that so please stand or kneel um uh please close your eyes please ask the lord Uh, for gifts of prophecy heavenly father we thank you that prophecy is for our good holy spirit we welcome you into these few moments and ask for you to give words that would encourage the rest of us